what I want to do this, this morning is, is I want to talk to us uh, about chasing the vision for our church. And perhaps you, you remember the story, a man appears before Peter at the pearly gates of heaven. Have you done anything of particular merit, asked Peter. Well, there's one thing, the man says. Once I came upon a gang of bikers, thugs who, who threatened their neighborhood, terrorizing a young woman. And I told them to knock it off. And when they wouldn't stop, I approached their top dog, the largest and most tattooed biker. And I smacked him on the side of the head, kicked his bike over, ripped out his nose ring, and then warned him to leave her alone or he would have to answer to me. Well, as you can imagine, Peter was rather amazed by this. In fact, he was very impressed. And so when did this happen, Peter asked. Oh, just a couple of minutes ago, the man replied. Some of you will get that about halfway through the message. Sometimes risk-taking has its cost. Oftentimes risk-taking has its challenges. But risk-taking also has its benefits. And you'll notice here in your notes coming up on the screen, the risk to stand our ground in this community and beyond certainly has its challenges and benefits. As most of you know, four years ago, we followed uh, God's leading to take a risk. The risk to stand our ground in this community instead of relocating our church to the north. And taking this risk required uh, a tremendous amount of courage to, to face some of the challenges of ministering in this location that our church is at right now, such as the challenge of low visibility. And what I mean by that is, as you know, our church is not uh, on, a, on a, you know, a big thoroughfare. We're not, you can't see our church off you know, the highway or off North Oak, and so we have low visibility. Um, in fact, you have to want to come to church here to find it. Uh, you know, we're kind of tucked away, uh, literally in the woods. There's woods across the street here. And we're in this residential area, and so we have this challenge of low visibility. Another challenge uh, of taking this risk to stand our ground in this community is was, it's just a challenge of difficult accessibility. And we're all experiencing that right now, the month of January. And, and you know what I mean by that. When it snows, even an inch, three inches, the road out here with all the hills can become... Well, slick, and it can be dangerous down here at the four-way stop sign. And, uh, and of course, you know, we don't, can't run the vans hardly for sake of that. And, and by the way, uh, i just remind you, uh, when it snows a little bit and you come to the four-way stop sign, don't take Russell Road, don't come up Russell Road, just go straight, don't stop for the stop sign, just run right through it. <laughs> All right, because if you stop coming up the hill, you'll never make it. And if you stop going down the hill, you're going to run through it anyways. You're going to slide right through it. So we, we have kind of accepted the, that. We can't change the fact that we have uh, low uh, visibility. We have difficult accessibility here. An- another challenge is we're facing aging facilities here. Uh, as many of you know, we have three buildings. We have this worship building here with a basement where our preschool meets. We have the Student Life Center, uh, which was the very first building that was built. And these two buildings are over 50 years old. Uh, the building behind us, what we call the education building, was built in 90, 1975, so it's over 30 years old. And so you take these three buildings, which are over 50 and 30 years old, and let me tell you, the maintenance is never ending on them. It's just an ongoing thing. And some of you know that because you, you may live in an older house and you have to maintain it, and there's always maintenance issues that you have to address. 
fact, we have one right now. You can't see it because there's so much snow covering it, but this last week, uh, the whole gutter just fell off right over here on the Student Life Center. Uh, all, it was so full of ice, it couldn't support it, and it just fell. And then it ripped off the fascia board. And, and so it's constant. It's never-ending. It's just part of it, and you, need, you deal with that. Um, but that's part of the challenge of us deciding to stand our ground in this community. It's just aging. Now, one thing I must say, I'm very thankful for our facilities. We have very adequate, good facility. And the bigger thing I'm thankful for, they're all paid for. We're debt-free as a church. That's a glorious thing. When I just read an article this last week on the Internet where many churches in this economy are being foreclosed on. They're losing their facilities. And we're not in jeopardy of that. Our buildings are paid for. That's a, that is something to praise God for. Uh, an- another challenge we have by, by taking the risk to stand our ground here in this community is just the challenge of, of demographic diversity. Uh, it's a good challenge. It's a, it's a great opportunity, but it presents unique challenges. Uh, and once the 2010 census comes out, the findings from that, uh, it will basically confirm what we already know, that our country and surrounding communities of this church are becoming more and more ethnically diverse. And that presents its own unique challenges of how do you minister it all to this diversity, if you will. But taking the risk to stand our ground also has, I believe, some benefits to it. And you say, what are some of those benefits? Well, one, I mean, I'd say the biggest one is just life change. The benefit of seeing people's lives transformed by the power of God. Since 2007, which is when we made the decision to stand our ground here, do you realize uh, that God has blessed us with 40 salvations? Forty people have come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, their personal Lord and Savior, since 2007. We have had 13 baptisms in that span of time. We've seen 16 people come into the membership of our church. Listen, that's, that's tangible life change. That's something to be excited about. That's a benefit. We have also seen slow, steady growth. I wish it was faster and bigger, but it hasn't been. But we've seen slow, steady growth even in our worship service here. Uh, this last year... Uh, we, we saw 9% growth in our worship service uh, in 2010 over 2009. 9%. I praise God for that. That's something to be excited about. That's a benefit of standing our ground here. Uh, another one, uh, you know, we're beginning to make an impact in, our, in this immediate community through our community outreach efforts. Uh, you know, one of the things, one of my concerns was when I first became the pastor um, nine years ago now, was if our church didn't exist here, would anybody know it? Would anybody take notice if Glenwood wasn't here? I, I, you know, I can't answer that question uh, in, in, in a tangible way, but I know one thing we could do to begin to address that is, is make our presence known in the community by offering some community outreach events. Just being a presence there. And I think we're beginning to, to reap some of the benefits of that as well. Uh, we've seen our Awana ministry, which they've been the biggest recipient of that, with an influx of kids in the community. Uh, they're averaging around 75 to 80 kids, sometimes a little over that, and they pick up probably th- around 30 or a little over 30 on the vans just in this community of kids. And, uh, and, and it's a great thing. We, they were able to add the Trek ministry for middle school two years ago. They're now in their second year. And uh, of 6th, 7th, and 8th graders, and I think last Wednesday, when we had Wednesday night service or midweek service, uh, we didn't have it last week, but two weeks ago, they had over 20 kids down there. 
I mean, that's, a, that's an awesome thing. Uh, and then we saw God do just a phenomenal miracle through the Shama campaign. Many of you were here for that, where we, you know, grew our level of faith, if you will, to trust God, and where we committed to give over $425,000 for the renovation of the Student Life Center and the education building behind us. And, uh, and that was a wonderful miracle. That was all some of the benefits of taking a risk to stand our ground here in this community. But after four years, I honestly believe in my heart of hearts, it's time for our church to take another risk. And an even bigger risk, if you will. A risk that I, in some ways, don't fully understand yet. A risk that has a lot of uncertainty, as we'll talk about here in a moment, and a lot of questions and whatnot. But it's a risk that I think we need to step out in and take. And that risk is this. You notice it in your notes. is to become a church for all peoples. It's to become a church for all peoples who moves forward in faith, hope, and love to reach the surrounding communities of all peoples for Christ. That is the risk. And it only makes sense that God would be leading us to chase this vision. I mean, think about it with me for a moment. If we're going to take the risk to stand our ground in this community of all peoples, then the next step is to become a church for all peoples so that we can reach the surrounding communities of all peoples for Jesus Christ. You say, well, what is a church for all peoples? What does that look like? Well, let me give you just a, a simple way to, that I describe it. Here's how I would describe a church for all peoples. It, it's, it's a multi-generational and a multi-ethnic community church of fully devoted followers of Christ. It's multi-generational and it's multi-ethnic. And it's a community of those people coming together, and it's a church that become fully devoted followers of Christ. Why? So that we can now reach a community, surrounding communities of all peoples for Jesus Christ. Now, there's no doubt chasing this vision has its challenges. Huge challenges. In fact, my goal this morning is not to answer all the questions we may have about those challenges. In fact, in many ways... Uh, we probably don't even know what some of the questions are that we need to answer. In many ways, I, I, we probably don't even know what all those challenges are. But what I do know is that becoming a church for all peoples also has its benefits. If we're willing to take the risk to chase this vision that I believe God is leading us to chase, a risk to take. And so where can we turn then? Where can we go to kind of get a glimpse, to kind of get a picture, an idea of what it's going to take to chase this vision that that I believe God is leading us to chase? The vision of becoming a church for all peoples. Well, one place we can turn to is to the church in Antioch in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 11. If ever there was a church for all peoples, it was this church at Antioch. This church teaches us Basically, two essential principles for becoming a church for all peoples. And so that's what I want to spend the the next few minutes here looking at, is these two principles. And then we'll look at a little bit of goals uh, for our church, and, and then we'll close this out. But two principles for becoming a church for all peoples. Number one, a church for all peoples that we learn from the church of Antioch is missional. 
A church for all peoples is missional. The book of Acts tells the story of how the Christian movement spread like wildfire from Jerusalem, where Jesus died and he rose again, to Samaria, to Syria, to Greece, to Rome, and beyond to the uttermost parts of the world. In chapter 10, Christianity spread to the totally non-Jewish Gentile people of Caesarea and and built a bridge over the alienation between Christian Jews and non-Christian Gentiles. And then we come to chapter 11, where our text is this morning. And we can track the Christian movement then all the way north along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea to the chief city of Syria, Antioch where a church for all peoples was established. Notice again how this happens in Acts chapter 11, where we pick up the story in 19 through 20. Look what it says again. Now those who were scattered after the persecution. Now that's an interesting phrase. I don't want to dwell there, but let me just say God had to force his people out. And he did so through persecution. And that's why they're scattering and they're moving out beyond the walls of Jerusalem. All right? And he's doing that through persecution. I hope, God, it doesn't take our, the same for us. To move out beyond our walls and to reach the surrounding communities. To reach your neighbors, your co-workers and whatnot. My neighbors, my co-workers, our church's community, if you will. And sometimes it's so easy when we get into a church, we find a church, we think of church as the building and, and the people inside. And, and while that is the church, listen, we're here for a greater purpose than that. We're here to reach the lost world for Christ. For the church of Jerusalem, God had to bring persecution to scatter them to fulfill his commission. And now we see, now those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch preaching the word to no one but the Jews only. That's interesting. But some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who, when they had come to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists, preaching the Lord Jesus. Now, you need to understand, this is a radical shift in who the gospel was being preached to. The Hellenists, in this context, I mean, like, Hellenists, what's that? Sounds like my kid. It's coming from the Hellenist group. Because he's terrorizing everybody. That's not what this is. Get that out of your mind. The Hellenists in this context simply means Greek-speaking Gentiles. And until now, the gospel was spreading mostly along the monocultural lines of Judaism. But in Antioch, for the first time, the church broke through the cultural barriers and preached the gospel to the Gentiles. You say, well, who are the Gentiles? I've heard that word before. The Gentiles, that is a term the Bible uses for everyone in the world who is non-Jewish. And since there are around 15 million Jews in a total world population of over 6 billion, almost 7 billion now, nearly everyone falls into the category of a Gentile. And the Bible tells us That God wants the Gentiles in his church. He wants the Gentiles to be part of his kingdom. And that's good news because if God didn't want the Gentiles, listen, most of us here this morning, if not all of us, we would be automatically excluded from the gospel. But God does want the Gentiles. 
Yes, he loves the Jews. Those were his chosen people. But his grace extends now to all the world. His gospel is available to all people groups, which means God's church is a church for all peoples. So what makes a church then missional? If a church for all peoples is missional, then what makes us missional? What makes any church missional? Well, in simplistic terms, if you could summarize it this way, a missional church is when that church, those people, are basically fulfilling the great commission that Jesus gave us in Matthew 28. When Jesus said in verse 19, go and make disciples of all the nations or of all peoples. This is why we exist as a church. This is our mission. This is our purpose, is to make disciples. And at the core of, quote, making disciples of all peoples, at the core of it, at the heart of it, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Without the gospel, you can't make disciples of Christ. As Jesus said in Mark chapter 16, verse 15, he says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And folks, listen, this was the basic message the church at Antioch was proclaiming to all peoples. The gospel of Jesus Christ. That he died on the cross for our sins and he's risen and alive today as we just sang about. And that Jesus is our hope and that he can make a change in your life. You say, well, what does this mean for us? That's the church of Antioch. What's it mean for Glenwood here? It means if we're going to chase the vision, the vision of becoming a church for all peoples, then as a church, we must continue and we must even do a better job of proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen, and if we're going to proclaim the gospel to all peoples, then we must take two things to heart. These two things must grip our heart, and we must embrace them in our heart and our minds. And the first is we need an utter awareness of the condition of lost people. I think sometimes it's easy to lose sight of this awareness. The condition of what our lives were before we came to Christ. The condition of what lost people's lives currently are without Christ. Romans 3.10 says there is none righteous, no, not one. Why is there no one that's righteous? Well, because Paul goes on, he says in Romans 3.23, for we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And, And some people may say, well, what's the big deal about falling short of the glory of God? Listen, it's a huge deal. It's a big deal because there are consequences for that. And you say, what are those consequences? Well, Paul later on goes on in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, and he says, for the wages of sin is death. That's the condition of a lost person. And we need an awareness that people in our surrounding communities here, around this church, where you work, where you live, where your kids play, where you interact, are spiritually lost. Listen, they're not just demographically diverse. They're not just confused. They're not just people with problems. Listen, first and foremost, they are spiritually lost. And if they die without knowing Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, they're going to spend eternity in hell. 
We need an utter awareness of that concept, of that reality and that truth. And as you think about this, I challenge you to think of one person right now in your own mind who's lost. Picture their face. It may be your neighbor, it may be your coworker, it may be the mom or the dad of your child where he goes to school or he plays sports or whatever the case may be. We know it's people in the surrounding communities here. And folks, and if we don't have a constant awareness that breaks our hearts, we will never then be motivated to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And until that awareness grips our hearts, we will simply be a church for us and not for the lost. And what a tragedy that is. The second thing is, we need to take to heart is we need to embrace the conviction then that Jesus is our only hope. He is our only hope because Paul says in Romans 1.16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Why? For it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. That's why the gospel is good news. Without Christ, our lives are hopeless. But with Christ, our lives are hopeful. But reaching people with the gospel is just the first step in being missional. It is the first step. Once we reach the lost, we must take them deep into the gospel. The understanding of what the gospel is and build them up so they live as fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. Listen, we don't want just a church full of people. It does us no good to be just multi-generational, multicultural if people are not saved and are not growing as fully devoted disciples of Jesus Christ. Followers of Christ. And so, listen, the idea of being a missional church is more than just reaching them, reaching law. It starts there, but it also includes building them up. So the first principle, in fact, this is what Paul and Barnabas did. It's interesting. They did this at the church in Antioch. You can go to verse 26 in Acts 11, and it says, So it was for that, for a whole year, they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. And so the first principle we learn from the church in Antioch is that a church for all peoples is missional. It unashamedly proclaims the gospel of Jesus Christ in order to reach the lost and build them up as followers of Christ. The second essential principle the church of Antioch teaches us is that a church for all peoples is attractional. It's attractional. Now, for those of you melancholies who are like, that's not a real word. You're right, it's not. It's a made-up word. You're not going to find it in the dictionary, so don't go to your computer and, you know, Google it uh, or, you know, insert it in Merriam-Webster's dictionary. You're not going to find it. But nonetheless, listen, it communicates an essential principle for our church. It's not enough to be missional. We must also be attractional if we want to chase the vision of becoming a church for all peoples. Look again what it says in Acts 11, this time in verses 22 and 23. It says, Then news of these things came to the ears. News of what things? 
news that these people in Antioch, as they preached the gospel, were coming to Christ. That news, and that a church was being established for all peoples, that news reached all the way to Jerusalem. Pretty amazing. The news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. And when he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all that with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord. Now, there's one particular phrase here I want us to focus on in verse 23. When Barnabas came to the church of Antioch, and it says he had seen the grace of God. Underline that phrase, or take notice of that phrase. Had seen the grace of God. And here's the question that I have. What did he see? What in the world did Barnabas see at the church of Antioch that caught his attention so much that it's now recorded in Scripture for us? What grace of God did Barnabas see? A little side note here, it tells me that Barnabas saw something. It also tells me that God's grace can be visible for people to see. Interesting. So what did Barnabas see? Well, I think he probably saw numerous things. Several evidences, if you will, of the grace of God at work in the church of Antioch. But I want to point out one. I want us to focus on just one of them, namely this, that Barnabas saw, listen to it, Jews and Gentiles worshiping together. Barnabas saw a church for all peoples, in other words. Acts 13.1 gives us a clearer picture of what this church at Antioch looked like. You go over two chapters to chapter 13, verse 1, and it included Barnabas, who was a Jew from Cyprus. It included this church, Simeon, a black man who was called Niger. It included Lucius, who was probably a Roman from Cyrene. It included Menaean, an aristocrat who had been raised with Herod the Tetrarch. And Saul, the Jewish teacher from Tarsus, whose name was later changed to Paul. Quite an assembly of backgrounds, cultures, and basically an assembly of diversity. All coming together in this church at Antioch. And the question is, how could people this diverse worship together in one church? That's an amazing thing. Well, there's only one answer. By the grace of God. God's grace. When Barnabas saw the gospel proclaimed in Antioch and that all peoples had turned to the Lord Jesus and were now worshiping together, what he saw was the amazing grace of God at work in the hearts of people. And you think, well, what does this mean for us now? What does this mean for us today? It means if we're going to chase the vision of becoming a church for all peoples, then as a church we must model the grace of God. We got to model this. We got to demonstrate this. It has to be visible for people to see. Here's a question to think about What will attract all peoples to worship here at Glenwood? What will attract, and when I say all peoples, all generations? What will attract all ethnic groups? 
Another way to think about this question is what attracted you to Glenwood? What attracted you and now keeps you coming back to Glenwood? Some of you, if we were to take a poll, a survey, some of you may say, well, I, I, was, a, I was attracted to the people here. I knew somebody, I got a friend here or there, and so I keep coming back because I made a connection. That's a legitimate. Some of you may say, well, I'm, I was, I'm attracted to the music. I think the praise team does a great job in our worship or whatnot. And you may be attracted to that. Some of you may say, well, I'm attracted to the kids' ministries you have for my kids. Some of you may say, perhaps, well, I'm attracted even to the preaching. <laughs> and if you don't, that's all right, too. Listen, those are all real things. Those are all tangible things. Those are all things that we want to be effective at, and we want to do a better job at. But folks, listen to me. When you strip all that away, the one thing that attracts all people, regardless of age, race, culture, and background, is the grace of God at work in the church. Listen, an attractional church presents a picture of an irresistible picture of God's grace that all peoples find compelling. It's like a magnet. When grace is in action, when God's grace is moving through his church, and when people are demonstrating and modeling the grace of God, it just attracts and pulls people in like a magnet. It doesn't matter what your age is, what the culture is, what the background is. You find that compelling, just as they did at the church of Antioch. Now let's stop and review what we've learned so far from this this amazing church here in the book of Acts, this church at Antioch. We see there's two essential principles that we got to embrace as a church if we're going to chase this vision of becoming a church for all peoples. We must be, first of all, what kind of church? A missional church. And second of all, we must be a second, an attractional church. We must be missional and we must be attractional. But let's be honest. Man, that's a whole lot easier said than done. You know what I'm saying? A whole lot easier said than done. So how do we become this kind of church? Well, I don't have all the answers on this, but I know there's two keys right out of this passage here to becoming a missional and attractional church. Two keys. You see it there in your notes. We need the power of God with us. We need the power of God with us, and people must see the personality of Christ in us. Now, let me explain that just for a minute here. First of all, if we're going to be a missional church, we need the power of God with us. Go back to that verse 21. Verse 21, and notice what it says. And the hand of the Lord was with them. And then I love what takes place next. And a great number believed and turned to the Lord. Folks, there's a cause and effect here going on. The hand of the Lord was with them. And what takes place after that? A great many people come to the Lord. That's the key. Without God's power with us, we will never be a missional church. We'll never see people in the surrounding communities believing in turning to the Lord. 
But thankfully, we have this promise in Matthew 28, 20. When Jesus finished giving us the Great Commission, he says, Behold, I am what? I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus gave us this promise so that as you sit there, and as I stand here even now and ponder, how can we take this risk to become this church for all peoples? You will have ringing in your ears the Lord's promise. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with you. That is the promise of God's power with us. But second of all, if we're going to be an attractional church, then, we must, then people must see the personality of Christ in our lives. Look what it says at the end of this passage here, this text in verse 26. Go all the way to the last sentence in verse 26, and it says, And the disciples were first called what? Christians in Antioch. Interesting, this is the very first time the word Christian is used in the Bible here. You say, well, what's a Christian? Well, it literally means little Christ. And it's the idea to be Christ-like in your character, to be Christ-like in your conduct. You could say it's the idea to be Christ-like in your actions and in your attitude. In other words, what was taking place here is the the believers at Antioch were called Christians. And in this case, it was used as a derogatory term. The, The unbelieving world was trying to kind of make fun of them. And they were called Christians by those outside the church because what the people outside the lost world, what they saw in these believers here was the personality of Christ in them. They saw these believers acting like Christ acted, living like Christ lived. Again, think of it this way. What attracts lost people to the hope of Jesus Christ? What attracts a lost person to the hope that we have in Jesus Christ? Listen, it's not your looks. I know some of you think you're good looking. And we have a good looking church. But your looks come and go, don't they? And it looks will only get you so far. And it's not your personality that attracts lost people to the hope of Christ. You know why? Because our personalities are messed up and jacked up by sin. That's why you're so hard to live with. Ask your spouse, your sibling, whatever the case may be. And so that's not what attracts people to the hope of Christ. It's the personality of Christ that attracts them. It's the personality of Christ shining through our lives. It's the power of Christ and Him in us changing our personality to conform it and align it to His. It allows that to shine through. And when we begin to act like Christ, live like Christ, and model our lives like Christ... I'm not saying everybody's attracted to that because their eyes are closed by Satan. But when God peels back their eyes by the Spirit and Him working in it, and all of a sudden they see, whoa, man, what's going on in that guy's life? Because I want what he has. The personality of Christ has to be seen in us and through us. If we ever hope to be an attractional church, if we ever hope to attract 
lost people to the hope of Jesus Christ. So the power of God and the personality of Christ are two keys to becoming a missional and attractional church. And what's the result? We will become, in time, a church for all peoples. Here's another way to think about all this. We must be missional in our function as a church. And we must be attractional in our form as a church. Missional in our function, attractional in our form. Listen, we don't have an option of choosing one over the other. One is not more important than the other. And it's not a question of either or. It's not a question of missional or attractional. Which should we focus on? It's not a question of choosing one over the other. It's an issue of both and. As I read in a book, or a pastor, I love what he said, we must embrace the genius of the and and avoid falling into the tyranny of the or. Folks, that is true with these two concepts. It's missional and attractional. It's not both and. I mean, either or. In other words, if we're going to chase the vision of becoming a church for all peoples, we have to embrace the concept and the idea. And we must focus our energies on being missional and attractional both. Now, what I want to do here is give you some goals, some missional and attractional goals for chasing this vision of becoming a church for all peoples. Now, please understand, this is not an exhaustive list of goals. But it's a place to start, I believe, that our church needs to focus on in the coming years. The first goal, number one, is to redefine our purpose as a church, to re-clarify it, to refocus it. I don't care what word you use. To redefine our purpose as a church in our process for growing people. As I already said, our purpose, our mission, here's why, why we exist as a church. It's simply to make disciples. It is to fulfill the great commission that Jesus gave to us and make disciples by, first of all, reaching unbelievers with the gospel of Jesus Christ and then building believers to live as fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. You may ask in your mind, well, what is a fully devoted follower of Christ? You've used that term now. What what does one look like? Well, for our church, uh, our leadership council, we've been meeting for the last year, going over some of these concepts here. And we've identified a fully devoted follower is one who, first of all, they know Christ as their Lord and Savior. They know Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord personally and corporately through conversion, commitment, and celebration with the body of Christ. Second of all, a fully devoted follower is one who then grows in Christ. So they know Christ, and now they're growing in Christ faithfully with others through his word and spirit in biblical community. And then third, a fully devoted follower is not only one who just knows Christ, they're growing in Christ, and now they show Christ selflessly to others with a lifestyle of service in the church and the community. And then number four, last of all, we would define or describe a fully devoted follower as one who then goes with Christ locally and globally, to reach the lost world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, real quickly, you can evaluate, I can evaluate, well, how am I doing as a disciple, as a follower of Christ? Where do I stack up? How do I measure? Do I know Christ? Am I growing in Christ? Do I show Christ, and am I going for Christ? 
And that's basically the goals. In fact, that, in essence, then becomes the process for our church. Because what we also want to do is we need a process, a system for, for growing people. We want to provide, in a sense, a pathway to guide people on your, their spiritual journey. And part of that pathway is developing structures and systems. Our worship service would be one. This is the place to start. A small group would be another one. And go on and on. It needs to be simple. It needs to be easily communicated. We want to redefine and re-clarify our purpose as a church and our process, the pathway for everybody. Hey, if I want to grow, here's where the path is, and here's where I know where the next step is. Here's the launching place for me in my spiritual life. Number two, our second goal is we, I feel and believe we need to rename our church for improved attractional and missional significance. We need to rename our church. Now, here's a question to think about on this one. And don't, don't, don't think long on it. Just answer the first thing that comes to your mind. What do you think of when you hear the name Glenwood? What do you think of when you hear the name Glenwood? Now, for those of you who have been attending our church for a while, you may think of our church. You probably do. You associate the name Glenwood with our church here at this location and whatnot. But beyond that, what comes to your mind when you think of the word Glenwood? For people who've never attended our church, people in our surrounding communities, what do you think comes to their mind when they hear the name Glenwood? Because that's the more important question. Well, from my conversations with those people, I haven't had a lot, but I've had some, the first one is, well, what's that? Glenwood, what's that? Oh, well, it's a church. And then the second question is, well, where's that? The name Glenwood, for those of you who are interested, the name Glenwood, how many know where that comes from? Our church is named Glenwood. Very few people know why we're named Glenwood. It's just we've always had the name Glenwood. In fact, we've had the name Glenwood for over 60 years. And the reason is because the name Glenwood originated in the 1940s from the name of the community in which our church still resides today. But as you know, we don't have a community named Glenwood anymore. There hasn't been a Glenwood community in over 40 years. And yet we're still called Glenwood. Why? If I could be so blunt, the Glenwood name has no relevance. No relevance. The name does not reflect the geographic area of our church. Nobody connects the name Glenwood with this area, location, or of any kind. In fact, there used to be a Glenwood Theater in Overland Park. Have you guys ever been to it? Most people, when you say the name Glenwood, when that was still in existence, that's what they used to think of first. But that's no more there. Second of all, listen, the Glenwood name, it not only has no relevance, but more importantly... It has no significance. And what I mean by this, the name does not reflect the mission of our church. And there's nothing particularly appealing about the name Glenwood, other than for those of us who've been attending here for long years, well, we've grown accustomed to it. But there's no significance, there's nothing about the name that identifies us of who we are and what our mission is about and what we're trying to accomplish. There's no relevance and no significance. 
And so I think we need to have a goal. It's to choose a name for our church that reflects our church's attractional and missional significance and perhaps even our geographical relevance, although that would be secondary in my opinion. Now, I understand that due to our church's 60-plus year history, there is an emotional attachment to the name Glenwood for some people. I understand. Hey, I've been going to this church all my life. Since I was a five-year-old rugrat, I've been attending this church. So the name Glenwood even holds some emotional attachment for myself. But here's what I honestly believe in my heart of hearts. That the benefit of renaming our church far outweighs any emotional attachment we may have to the, quote, name Glenwood. And, of course, the next obvious question everybody has right now is, what are we going to rename our church? Oh, isn't that the question we all want to know? Answer, I mean. I don't know. I don't know yet. I have some ideas of my own. I'm sure you have some ideas of your own. And that's something we'll try to explore together as a church in the coming months. But I do think, I really believe now is the time. This is something I've thought about ever since I became the pastor, even when I was a youth pastor here, about our name. And I believe now is the time where we need to address this issue of renaming our church. Number three, a third goal is, is to renew our hearts for seeking after God and living out his mission. Listen, we'll never be a missional church, we'll never be an attractional church if we're not seeking after God and living out his mission in our own personal lives. And folks, if I could be so honest, here's what I know because it's true of my own life as well. I I think we've allowed ourselves to kind of fall into a little bit of a valley of our priorities and our passion for God and God's heart for people. And we need a renewal of our heart, of seeking after God. And sometimes that also includes a repentance of sin and a realignment of our passions and priorities as followers of Jesus Christ. And maybe that you identify with that. Maybe as you reflect on your own spiritual life in the last few years, you see where, man, it ain't what it used to be. And so part of being a missional and attractional church is we, we have to do some realignment, some renewal. An old word they used to say for this is revival. And then number four, a fourth goal. In, in fact, let me just encourage you on this renewal part. Um, Chris just, Pastor Chris just started a brand new series. He's only been into a one week in our midweek Bible study on this very aspect. And in fact, the, the name of a series he's doing right now is called On Mission Ambassadors for Christ. I, I, let me encourage you to come. Be a part of that. Seven o'clock over in the Student Life Center in our midweek service. And then the fourth goal is to renovate our auditorium to renovate our auditorium, including the preschool area, for enhanced worship by all peoples. Listen, part of being an attractional church also includes attractional facilities. Facilities aren't everything. And you can have all the greatest facilities in the world and still be the deadest church in the world. But I know this. 
your facilities better be attractional too if you want to attract people. It's not everything. And as you know, in 2008, we renovated the education building behind us and now the Student Life Center, what we're calling now, and now we need to renovate this auditorium building. This building here, this third building, we've done two out of three, but this one still needs a makeover. In fact, it was interesting, when we were doing the Shama campaign renovation, uh, we brought in a design coordinator in the beginning just to help us with the color scheme a little bit. And so she did a walkthrough of all our buildings, and it was quite depressing what she had to say about them at the time, um, to be you know, honest with you. So she walks into our auditorium, and she just kind of looks around and asks, so what, what's your first impression? And she says, well, definitely 80s. And due to this color scheme of blue and white, definitely kind of a cold feeling. And it's got kind of a formal church feeling to it. And part of that's due to your high-pitched roof, too. And I was like, yep, you got it. But folks, that's not who we are. I don't think we're a cold church. I don't want us to be a cold church. And we're definitely not real formal. I, we're somewhat laid back here. Sometimes we don't mind letting loose and having some fun and whatnot. And so cold and formal, don't, I, that's not who we are as a church. And yet, and we're definitely not in the 80s. And yet that's what this auditorium projects. And it needs a makeover. Not a major one, but a makeover. Now, it's not cost effective for us to redo the pitched roof. We're kind of stuck with that. But there are some things that we can do, we can address, such as paint. What we'd like to do is bring in the paint scheme that we already have in our other two buildings and repaint the auditorium, some new carpet. A big one here is new lighting. We definitely need new lighting here, house lights, and more importantly, even platform or stage lighting. Um, and then reconfigure this whole platform too. As most of you know, in the 80s we had a choir, and then this is the choir loft. We used to have chairs up here. We haven't had a choir in 15 years. And so reconfigure the stage here to one level or, or maybe two levels and make better use of the space that we have up here. And those are just some of the things that we'd like to address in the renovation of this auditorium. And then the preschool. The preschool needs a renovation as well. It needs a makeover, carpet, paint. We've already addressed the bathroom down there in the Shama campaign, so that's a major expense we don't have to address. And you may be saying, well, how, are we, how much does this cost? I don't know. And how much are we going to pay for it? We're going to have another campaign? I don't know yet. But I know these are some of the goals that we need to address. These are some missional and attractional goals. And as we look over these four goals, these four missional and attractional goals, you may have several questions about them. That's good. So do I. And I'll be the first to admit I don't have all the answers right now. In fact, as we begin to think about chasing this vision of becoming a church for all peoples, there is a tremendous amount of uncertainty and challenges that lays ahead of us. And that's why chasing the vision of becoming a church for all peoples requires, notice it, requires faith. It requires faith that moves out into uncertainty and in spite of the challenges. Listen, I honestly believe there are times when God says, hey, here it is. 
Here it is, step out, not knowing exactly how to do it, not insisting on God that we have to know how everything's going to work out. As Erwin McManus puts it in his book, Seizing Your Divine Moments, if you wait for guarantees, the one guarantee is that you will miss divine opportunities. In other words, what he is saying is, if you wait for certainty, if you wait to have all your questions answered, if you wait to know how everything's going to work out, listen, you will live a life of wait. So sometimes, listen, we have to swing out on the vine of God's promises. Swing out over the edge of uncertainties, over the edge of of the challenges of life and trusting Him to sustain us. And I believe this is one of those times in the life of our church. Yes, there is uncertainty. And yes, there are challenges to chasing this vision of becoming a church for all peoples. But folks, listen, nothing is too big for God. Nothing. Just ask the church at Antioch. Just ask that church. In fact, listen again to what it says in verse 21. And the hand of the Lord was what? Upon them, was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. Yes, risk-taking has its challenges. It has its cost. But risk-taking also has its benefits. And the question before us as a church body today is will we step out in faith? Will we step out in faith enough to take a risk to choose to chase the vision of becoming a church for all peoples? Listen, this morning, I'm asking you, as your pastor, to ponder and consider chasing this vision with me. But please understand, there's a risk involved. But it's worth it. And that's the question. Do you believe it's worth taking the risk? And are you willing to take it with me? And are we willing to step out in faith and take it as a church family? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for really the legacy of the church at Antioch and how you use this church to make an impact in the world, where they were, and to cross cultural barriers and to proclaim the gospel and to see people come to you. And Lord, somehow, some way, I pray that, that you would enable, you would empower our church to do the same. That Lord, you would use our church and I understand, Lord, we're, just, we're a church one among thousands here in the Kansas City area. But, Lord, you have led us to take a risk of standing our ground here. And now we need to take another risk, a bigger risk, one that is filled even with more challenges, more uncertainty. And, Lord, it requires a tremendous amount of faith, and I ask that you would grant us that faith. And you would also grant us a spirit of unity. And you would allow us, you would empower us to do what you're leading us to do. And that together we would chase this vision of becoming a church for all peoples. 
And Lord, it would be my hope and my prayer that just as the Jerusalem church heard about these things, heard about people coming to Christ, the word spread, that word would spread of what you're doing at our church, that we're making a difference and you're using us in the kingdom of God. Lord, we pray these things in your son's name. Amen.